Akalazone. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode one. Yes, we are here. It is starting right now of Requiem for a Tuesday. I am your host, Adam Bacora. And uh, yeah, we'll kind of see what happens for this. <laughs> um, I think the initial plan is, uh, you know, I'm just going to kind of ramble on for fucking ever. And then uh, we'll see how it goes. I'd like to eventually get into like segments and stuff where, you know, there's like, oh, I love this part. Um, but I don't really want to put like any barriers on this so I can kind of see where it goes naturally. Um, so there's some kind of like an evolution or something almost. Um, but yeah, so hopefully we'll get to that point. Uh, we're going to talk, you know, movies, TV, music, a little bit of sports, uh, for those who don't care about that. I don't care. I love them. They're very important to me. So we're going to do that. Um, and then, you know, sprinkle in some of the wonderful details of my extravagant personal life. Uh, everybody's going to be excited about that. Hopefully that's more of just a as-it-comes-to-me thing, and we're not over here doing, like, Maury. Uh, but we'll see. Could easily end up doing some, uh, therapy-type deal. Uh, just kidding. We'll see. Uh, I probably actually need to do that. Uh, <laughs> Um, but first, let's go with the title of the show. It You may recognize it. It comes from a very brief but memorable, um, I think it was the cold open. If not, um, it definitely was in the initial scenes of a uh, mid-season four episode of uh, Parks and Rec. For my money, probably the best show of our generation. Oh, excuse me. I've been battling a cold, of course. This is, uh, of course, I got it right as I, right as I was uh, ready to get this rolling. So I'm already a little bit delayed on my timeline. So I'm like, fuck it. Uh, we'll do a cold sick episode. Hopefully, it's not too noticeable. But uh, yeah, so that's why that is. Uh, but Parks and Rec. I mean, what can I say that hasn't already been said? The fact that it recovered from its rough start and excelled, I think, is amazing for a multitude of reasons. But the first being, like, the optimism that, like, Leslie has in general is almost embodied in, like, the show being willed towards greatness. Because, I mean, season one, kind of a dud... It kind of went on almost the exact same path as The Office did, at least for the beginning. Like, the shortened initial season isn't that great and not even really what anybody wants. So, for whatever reason, they both got like a six-episode first season and then both times they're like, yeah, we kind of didn't do this well. <laughs> um so we're going to kind of redo it all and just, like, wipe the slate clean. Uh, I'm not as well-versed in The Office, so if that's not as accurate, uh, I don't really care. But uh, I feel like the characters definitely changed quite a bit from se- that little season one to season two. Not nearly as dramatically in Parks and Rec, where obviously, I mean, Leslie started off as just, like, a complete, like, idiot and in the same way as Michael Scott, to where, like, 
how did she get this job? But we don't want to see that again. So <laughs> they're like, okay, well, she can be like a dork, but let's like make her competent. Otherwise, why are we even doing this? You know? And I think that that went a long way. Obviously, season two to season one is like monumentally better. And then season three, I mean, you add not just Adam Scott, who is my A-lister out of the two, but also Rob Lowe, which, I mean, wasn't a big Rob Lowe guy. Never understood where that came from. Um, I saw St. Elmo's Fire, and I was like, wow, this is dark. (laughs) I might have saw it a little too young. I was like nine or ten or something. But I was like, Jesus, this is a dark movie. Why do people like this? And then uh, West Wing, uh, I was too young while it was on, and it's probably too late now. Uh, But, I mean, Aaron Sorkin, I do not deny that that show is incredible and that Rob Lowe is incredible in it. I fully back all of that. Plus, he was in that show Grandfathered. Like, that was after Parks and Rec, but, like, it might have been, like, while I was in the middle of streaming it. Like... I started season one while Grandfathered was coming on. Is that him? Whatever. He did that one. He did like that show on Fox that just didn't seem good with Josh Peck. Yeah. I can't even believe that I'm saying that. That's insane. (laughs) Josh Peck. Wow. He really didn't. He really like tried to go on the Keenan Thompson route and just like (laughs) just find his way into something. And uh, it's not working out as well for Josh Peck, probably rightfully so. Um, but, I mean, as long as you're doing better than Drake, because Jesus Christ did it. I wonder if the rise of, like, Aubrey Graham Drake really hampered Drake Bell's career. Like, not even musically, just, like, he went, it was Drake and Josh, so he was just Drake, like, to everybody. And then all of a sudden, oh, no, this is Drake, and he's like, oh, fuck. What am I supposed to do now? Because that would be my reaction if I was Drake Bell. Thankfully, I'm not because that seems terrible. But, yeah, so, I mean, the additions, I mean, Adam Scott, I got into Party Down after watching Parks and Rec, and uh, it's almost sad that he left, because the way I understand is that he left the show for Parks and Rec, and it, like, effectively ended because everybody was blowing up anyway. Um, but if that's the case, then it's almost sad that he joined Parks and Rec. <coughs> Just because I think Party Down was amazing, and probably the only good original programming ever to come out of Stars. You could probably try to convince me otherwise, but I don't think I'm going to watch any Stars original series other than that one. And that's all cast, and it still took me like two years just to even like give it a shot. Uh, glad I did. It's fucking amazing. Everybody should watch it. Arguably, I would say that Adam Scott and Lizzie Kaplan have way better on-screen chemistry. I know that's kind of a hot take. But uh, had they had time to really develop a relationship, which I think was happening, obviously, like if there was going to be a season three, I think they definitely would have had like a pretty legitimate like relationship. I think it would have still been rocky and fun. And that was like a cool element to it. But like their energy was just electric. Now, obviously, they're way different characters than like who's being than who Adam Scott and then Amy Poehler are playing on Parks and Rec. But like, I don't know. The chemistry was there. Uh, 
that that's why it's sad but obviously he was the boost for Parks and Rec I think anyway I think Rob Lowe added a lot especially initially while Adam Scott was still kind of like the villain guy for a minute um but yeah I I love Party Down you should watch Party Down I do think that Mark Bernandanowitz was a pretty bad supporting character and I think that that guy I'm from what I read he left to become like to like start his movie career like everybody has to do in a sitcom and it never seems to work like oh Topher Grace is Venom now it's like I can't believe his movie career worked out well enough for him to get such a high profile role so soon but at the same time like why is he Venom this clearly isn't going to boost your movie career any further because this is not believable at all. You know, you're fucking Eric Foreman. You can't be Eddie Brock now. Like, oh, you were the scrawny high school kid and now you're Venom? And they didn't even, like, beef him up, like, when he was turned into Venom. I get Eddie Brock could be small. That's fine. I don't really care about that. I didn't read the comics. I don't know what the character looked like. I don't really know if any of the stuff was on par. I don't even care about any of that. All I'm saying is, like, strictly, like, why was Venom smaller than Spider-Man? At least that's how I remember it. I just remember him not being, like, a towering double Spider-Man which is how I remember Venom from the Spider-Man video game from N64. It was super rare. I don't know how my parents got it. You couldn't find it anywhere. The internet was barely a thing, so, like, maybe eBay existed. But, like, there's no way that it was cheap. And uh, shouts out to them. It was an amazing game. It had the red cartridge. And I, it was amazing. It lived up to the hype. I was super excited for it, but... Uh, it did not, I couldn't beat it. I remember, I think the last level, from what I know, it was the last level. It was like you versus Carnage, and he was just unstoppable. Uh, and beating Venom was really hard, too. That game was awesome, though. I wish that they would redo that. They are redoing SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom, and it's like about fucking time somebody answers a generational, like, reboot thing, and it's not, like, old people stuff. I mean, for video games, sure, that makes sense. But, like, that game is so underrated. And the fact that it's just some... It's like a SpongeBob game is unbelievable. But that game is so good. Uh, I actually had rebought it a couple years ago when I had... I bought, like, an original Xbox from, like, Salvation Army or something for, like, 15 bucks. And I'm like, I have to get Battle for Bikini Bottom because it is so good. So if you haven't played it, please play it. Uh, back to Fox and Rec. So, yeah, the addition of those characters was awesome. Mark Bandanowitz was not strong. Again, he came on stronger in the second season. Like, everybody really stepped up for season two. Um, and I'm super stoked about that. It's awesome. Um, but this show definitely, like, the addition of Rob Lowe and Adam Scott was, like, such a boost you can't even i i can't even quantify it it's like if season one was like a three and then season two was like a six they just went straight to a nine like out of nowhere and i think that even the three to six is a pretty big gap it was like a four to like a five and a half and then they're just like nine here we are we've arrived 
you know, it's like the team all came together at once, like in a perfect scenario. You know, it was like when the Celtics first got together and they're just like, boom, championship. We immediately get these three guys that can just play together so seamlessly. I mean, I think Uncut Gems just has me thinking about how good the 08 Celtics were now. I know that that was set in 2012, but like same core group. Uh, so that they may just be fresh on my mind. But I think that Parks and Rec kind of came together in the third season. It was like, okay, we've already had Paul Pierce, but let's bring in Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett, and we'll just tear the shit apart. And then, like, everybody else came through as Rondo, and we just shocked the hell out of everybody, just throwing dimes across the fucking board, like, nonstop. I mean, I didn't know who Nick Offerman was, Aubrey Plaza, Chris Pratt. It's like all of these people all of a sudden are just fucking out there. I didn't even know who Rashida Jones was. I mean, I'd watch The Social Network, I think, is one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, and But I didn't recognize her or anything. Even when I started Parks and Rec, I wasn't like, oh, that's the underdeveloped character from The Social Network. Like, that's the weakest link of The Social Network. Not that her performance isn't there. I just think that Sorkin was just like, all right, like, somebody's got to sympathize with this guy. Let's just throw it in real quick because he clearly still doesn't have any real friends in the fucking movie. Um, but, yeah, I think that uh, Rashida Jones, too, like, a- every single character, it's like, I mean, Megan Mullally was the only, like, recognizable person with Amy Poehler for me. I mean, I, uh, Aziz, too, I guess. But I feel like that's what he blew up from. I don't know. But, I mean, yeah, just a lot of just, like, the best role players just becoming stars in their own right. Like, a lot of James Hardens on Parks and Rec. Guys who were just like, okay, like, he's gonna be good, but he's coming off the bench for now. And it's like, wait a second. Why is your best player coming off the bench? And it's like, oh, wait. Only so many guys can fucking get minutes, you know? I'm not even that big on basketball. I don't know why all the basketball references are coming. I've been listening to Bill Simmons talk a lot. So. <laughs> um, but I just, yeah. I don't know if any show has glowed up that hard. Like, has anybody just been like, yeah, this show's decent, but now we're just going to add, like, two of the best guys available in TV. Like, we're adding two of the top free agents. Like, out of nowhere, it's like, yeah, we're you. Tom Brady now has Randy Moss, and this Wes Welker guy is gonna go for 125 catches, <laughs> no problem. Like, yeah, we just became the best team of all time in 10 seconds, and uh, you have you have no idea what happened. Kind of feels exactly like that. Like it was such just a just a heat check, just like showing the clout off <laughs> like uh, the biggest flex of all time um and just shout out to mike sure i mean i don't know if anyone has been as influential i don't know about influential but as important to like television in general in the past decade plus because i mean the office is the office i don't feel that strongly about it but i understand how big it is for a lot of people um, like trivia nights, Halloween costumes, references everywhere. Some people, it's the only show they watch. They just loop back and through the office over and over again. And it's like, 
I kind of get it. I think it's the most bingeable show of all time. Like if you put one episode on, I can watch ten in a row, no problem. Even when it, I mean, until it gets bad, I would say. But I, I, I think that that's the argument. Is like, when does it get bad for certain people? And some people only think it's one season. Some people only think it's a few episodes. I personally think it's the the last three seasons, which is just brutal. The last season with Michael Scott was terrible. I think um, the season without him is god awful. And then like the camera crew thing in season nine, like it was an it was interesting and a bold decision. But I still think overall, like, the material there just wasn't there. It was pretty stale overall, I think. Um, But, I mean, all of that aside, I think the show was a huge hit. It was a monster, and everybody, like, it's memes galore and reaction shots. And, like, what it set up was huge because, like, without The Office, there is no Parks and Rec. I understand that. I don't think that they're similar. Anybody who's criticism of Parks and Rec is that it's just like The Office, I would say, has clearly never watched it. Um, Way different, like, there's themes in Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec is actually, like, about morality and not just, like, fucking gags every ten seconds. I mean, there's jokes galore and it's hilarious. I think it's funnier for that reason. It's way more realistic. I don't know. Not really the point here. I'm not trying to do the, the argument about it, but so the office huge. Everybody loves it. It's gonna be a thing forever. Um, I don't think it's aged that well either. But that doesn't seem to matter to anybody because it's too important to too many people, which is totally fine. I absolutely understand that. I don't have any beef with it. I mean, it's just too cringy for me at some points. Um, and then boom, he does Parks and Rec again. Absolute masterpiece into Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I was like, okay, it's a sitcom on Fox, so this can't be good. Like, that's a bad sign. Um, I can't think of any live-action shows on Fox that lasted, like, other than Married with Children, which was, like, the first show they ever had. So, yeah, it doesn't bode well for that starts. So I'm like, okay, I don't really want to watch this. The trailers are cut to just show all the wacky, goofy stuff. And I'm like, well, there's Andy Samberg just being a goofball. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a show. I didn't understand anything about the cast. I didn't know what was going on. Um, Joe Latruglio has always made me uncomfortable just because he does such a great job in Superbad of just being the creepiest, cringy motherfucker, like, ever. And then in Pineapple Express, too, he's just a little weasel, and he's just so good at it that I was always a little, like, ah, I can't watch this guy. And out of respect, not out of a, like, this guy sucks, I think that he's brilliant, but uh, I was always like, he just is that weird. And, of course, like, he plays a really weird guy on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but... uh. I think it fits well. Like, he has a real personality, and that's clearly a real guy. Um, he's just a little off. And, they yeah, they just do it lighthearted enough to where it's, okay, we're supposed to like him. You know, like, the tone is there that this is a likable guy despite him being a really fucking weird guy. <laughs> um, which is always nice. I think that that's, like, the key to any great sitcom character is, like, they need to be really bizarre 
but just so lovable because then you like can't look away like i mean andy dwyer is a weird fucking guy uh and he wasn't that likable at first because he was just the weird ex really trying to get Anne back and she like really wasn't having it and it was like kind of creepy but he like lived in a fucking pit and then eventually he just like falls for april like that whole arc and they're the one of the best on-screen couples of all time um yeah she just like brings out the kid in him and they're like he's just able to like really truly be himself and there's something about that that's admirable but he's just like super weird i mean he just goes into character modes and has costumes and like he's a very strange guy but like his energy is unbelievable. He's essentially just like a fucking golden retriever. Like he's just a beam of light and you just absolutely are sucked in. But that guy's fucking weird. No matter how you look at it. I think everybody in Parks and Rec is pretty fucking weird. And that's why it's so enjoyable. Because it's just everybody is actually like a fully developed character and everybody has everything going on for it. And I think that that can be said for Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well. Like everybody is really, really developed. And like... I like that it's so outrageous because it counters how well all the characters are written and just makes the scenarios like super absurd so then they can like thrive in their own environment. Um, but yeah, I, wa- I wasn't on board at first and uh, the fact that it's on NBC just completes the whole Michael Schur loop of him just owning that network and putting out all the best shows for them and they're like, dude, like, I, it's just super impressive because then also the good place, like both the good place and Brooklyn Nine Nine are com- are tonally different. They're not like the mockumentary style. They're doing their own thing. They're way. They're still very high concept, and high concept just seems to be the way to go. I think like I keep seeing trailers for new sitcoms, like you know every summer or whatever, or like even the winter replacement ones, and it's just like, so it's about a couple in an apartment doing stuff like that's it's not gonna work like anymore that style i mean like the fact that parks and rec is all rooted in like people working for a city government it still has very basic sitcom episodes like there's all of this romance drama there's all very basic things happening but it all falls under the umbrella of like we know who these characters are we know what they do we know like where they live we know a lot about their town like it they go into the details and that is like the important thing that sitcoms don't understand it's like oh well here's a quirky female and her lazy boyfriend and they're gonna get into arguments but they're gonna be humorous arguments and then we'll see their neighbor and it's like no <laughs> this it doesn't work anymore you can't just throw one-liners back and forth for 22 minutes and have a laugh track and it, people will be like oh wow art exists and i am a fan of it it's like no you have to actually fucking try put in some effort okay it's just like and like names is a big one too. It's like I feel like in all those shows, like what are their names? It's like, oh, Jill Smith and Andy Rockefeller. Not Rockefeller. Even that would be that would be too ridiculous and still too specific for them. It would be like Andy Aronson and Jill Smith 
are a couple in New York City, although all we see is, like, random skyline things. So, like, okay, we're supposed to believe that these two people live in Manhattan, even though he's an illustrator. And, you know, she works as a receptionist somewhere, and it's like you're living in what would be, like, a $4,700 apartment. No problem. So, and then we never see anything resembling New York City in any capacity. I think Seinfeld, at least tonally, like, did a good job of that. Where And, like, it had a look and it had a feel. Like, you felt like they were walking around New York. Maybe not necessarily the parts they were talking about when they were talking about them. Like, whenever Jerry was on the sidewalk outside of his apartment, I'm like, that doesn't seem like you know where he would live and i didn't know but uh apparently i was right in assuming that like he just i don't know whatever and i think that like brooklyn 99 doesn't necessarily feel like brooklyn it's hard to like showcase a city in a sitcom i understand that because you're filming them on stages in la for the most part it's like the only cheap way to do that you'd have to spend so much money on a show and i get that um, so it, it is hard to showcase a city, but like Friends does not feel like it's in New York at all under any circumstances. Like you could have called that Chicago, you could have called it whatever. I mean, obviously certain episodes work out for being in New York, like when they drive to Atlantic City or whatever. Like, yeah, proximity stuff, they kind of get that right. But at the same time, it, it's just hard. I don't know. It's just hard to make it seem... Like, a show is set in the city that it's set in unless you set your show in L.A. And then you can just show L.A. really easily because everybody's already there. Um, but I think that that's a cool thing about The Office and Parks and Rec. Like, they're small town things and, like, The Office is supposed to be about The Office. And it's like, that seems like a real office. <laughs> you know, they're very clearly at an office building. I firmly... I'm rooted in that, and it could easily be in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Because what the fuck? Nobody knows what that place is like. And Pawnee isn't a real place, but they do everything they can to world-build it. They give it a whole history. And, like, making her the buff on it makes it believable that she would be constantly telling everybody about the history of this thing. Like, it fits her personality. Nobody else really talks about the past in Pawnee. Like, Ron will just remember what it was like back then because he's never moved. But he's not, like, a historian. And none of the other people really talk about things that used to happen there, you know, outside of like media people, radio people. Those people like can reference some stuff, but the characters, uh, for the most part, like all really fit their role the whole time. And I think that's huge. And then, yeah, so Brooklyn Nine-Nine probably is the least at its setting. I mean, that seems like a precinct. You know, but every precinct seems to looks like seems to look like that, and I, I don't know. I don't go to police stations for fun. I just don't think that every single police station has all that. I don't know, like all that wood and those gates and like just that specific of a thing where like the office is like right there, and he, you know what I mean. The guy yells from the office, and like everybody's peeking through windows. I don't know. I don't know just seems like a little bit much for me and then you go from there to the good place and it's like well throw your fucking concepts out the window because this is just about the after like insane and uh it's a little bit harder to get into i think because it has a purely linear storyline i mean ever you can't really dive into that you need to watch every episode in order which is 
kind of a difficult thing for some people to dive into shows. I mean, I would never go into a show mid-anywhere. You got to start from scratch, no matter what, I think. I mean, I wouldn't listen to an album starting on track six. You know, like if it was the single that came out first, that's one thing. But then when the whole album drops, what, you're going to play track six first again? Just so you can get, no, like you're going to start at the beginning. Um, but I think that, it, and it's also harder to make it more of a sitcom because they have to fulfill the story the whole time. So the situations are like really specific to the concept of the show and yeah, I mean, just to comment so much on philosophy, it just it, it shocked me that that was such a major part of the show. It obviously makes sense and fueled the plot incredibly well, and where they've gone, I think, is amazing. Um, but it was just surprising to me, somebody who was just a fan of, like, Mike Schur shows, to go into this and just not really know about it, and then have it just be about so much about philosophy was really surprising to me. Uh, in a very pleasant way. I would put it third, honestly, I mean, in the ranking of those four shows, only because Parks and Rec is one of the best shows of all time. <laughs> so, like, it's and that's a high standard. Um, more of it was funny and interesting to me. I mean, there were parts in The Good Place where I was just bored. Uh, there's some references I definitely went over my head because I'm not educated as well as I should be. And uh, that's not to the fault of the show. But I, j I just think that the comedy isn't as much there. There's less to be topical about, obviously. There's less there's less opportunity for jokes, like for it to just be like a rapid-fire thing because of the weight of the circumstances of everything that they're going through. So it that's tough as well to say, but I, I would... Ra if I'm just... If I want to watch a comedy... I would rather watch Parks and Rec. And the same goes with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think that the characters are just more interesting. Um, yeah, that being said, I still don't really like all of the characters on The Good Place, I don't think. Like, Tahani is still annoying. Just just her voice, like the inflections that happen all the time. I, I just don't really know if I like her. I don't really know if she actually contributes anything to the show. Like... Like, her character, like, literally doesn't do her part. And they reference that all the time. They're like, all you're good at is throwing parties. So then she'll just throw a bunch of parties every time. And it's like, well, at some point, could she be useful? Because it's really just Chidi and Eleanor. Like, they make a point to say that Jason is useless, which is fine. He can be, like, the, the token useless guy who's just there for the comic relief. And that's literally all he's been shrunk to at this point, too. Like, he's almost diminished his character level which is fine obviously the stakes of the show are much more important at its current state um but i also think at the same time like if you're going to diminish two characters to that limited of like powers that is really i don't know it does a disservice to like why were they even here the whole time to to now have two of four main characters just go into comic relief well, I guess the main humans, Ted Danson, there's five, and then Janet, there's six main characters. I understand it must be hard to keep all of their characters going and plot lines going while trying to wrap up the narrative of the entire series. Like, I'm not saying that it was an easy, it would be an easy fix, or like they could have done better. They probably 
could not have done better. I think that the show is incredibly well made, but it's just it's hard to really, really back it and say like the argument that this is Michael Schur's best show. I just don't think it's there. Um, just because the cast is, it's not as. I just don't think it's as well developed. Um, I guess is the way to put it. Like the character development just isn't really there that much for everybody. It's kind of like Tahani and Jason have like breakthroughs. Kind of. Jason doesn't really ever, I don't think. I, but like, and then they're just like, all right, well, they're good now. So we'll just keep moving on. And I don't, I don't know. And then Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it, it's just funnier. Uh, and it's more consistent in general in comedy, but also just like within the characters, like their characters stay on their own path and they stay themselves the whole time. And they're, they don't shy away. They keep the balance there in the sense that every character kind of gets their own story and they kind they stick to it for the most part. And I mean, I get that that show keeps getting renewed, but when it got can I mean, it got canceled out of nowhere. They didn't get a chance to say like, "Hey, we're gonna write an ending," and it still kind of had an ending. I mean, it it just worked. There there was never a time when I'm like, "Oh man, I wish that they could have gone to this character more." Like they they find a balance in their characters a little bit better. Um, that could be a testament to the actors. It could be a testament to the writers. I don't know. I mean. But they just stick with their characters more, and they have more characters. At least it feels like it. And if the num- if the number is also six, then that's an exact reason why Brooklyn Nine-Nine is better, because it feels like they have more characters, whereas Good Place seems like it is three. I mean, it's it's Cheaty, Eleanor, and uh, fucking Ted Danson, whatever. And then... Janet, who shouldn't be a character, that was the whole thing, uh, just ended up becoming way more prominent, I think, than they initially intended, because the whole thing was that she's not a person, but she's essentially just one of them, and just has regular conversations with them, and I think it was just easier to make the magic being a character, and it helped it fuel, like, all of that a whole lot easier, like, we can get way more done when our other friend is a voice assistant who completely controls everything in the world whenever she wants as opposed to like oh here's a dumb guy from jacksonville like who's gonna solve this problem is it the robot genius ai or just some dumb guy that's like okay i get it so i i understand all their decisions and the way every, the w- the reason everything is the way it is, but I also think that that's kind of a detriment to its ranking on here. And I put the office last. Like I said, I I just don't get it as much. Uh, it's good when it's good. It's pretty terrible when it's bad. And I think like the worst. Ep- if you put the worst episode of Parks and Rec on, whatever you decide it is, probably something from season one, and put it up against the worst episode of The Office, which is probably something with. Uh, James Spader as the boss because that was just grueling and terrible like nothing none of it was funny it was just like black black bleakness like it was just like awful (laughs) I don't know how else to put it and I think if you watch those episodes back to back you'd be like oh wow like if this is the worst of the worst then like I would rather watch 
the less bad option. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to watch something that gets that terrible. Because that means that there's a lot of episodes in that realm, which there are. That whole season is just brutal. And I think, like, the best episode of both are... They, they're both going to showcase way different things. Like, the best episode of Parks and Rec, uh, that's a tough call. But I think that you would... Pro- like, whatever you would pick, it would be more than just a lot of really funny stuff. I think it would also have a lot of heart in it. and It would have a lot to say. Whereas, I think the, the funniest episode of The Office for me is, like, the fire one, I think. Or The Office Olympics, I like a lot. But, like, in those episodes, it's because, oh, this one has the most jokes and this one's the funniest. And I think that normally that's how you would rank any other type of show. Like, I do not think for a second that Parks and Rec is better than Seinfeld. But, like, when you pick the best Seinfeld episode, you're going to pick probably the funniest one. And maybe, like, that story also just happens to be super, like, well thought out and crazy. And, like, kind of high concept like the other shows are. They they kind of did their concepts in individual episodes. But um, it, it wouldn't be like, oh, well, this is saying something profound and has, like, a bunch of heart or, like, a good message. Like, obviously, they intentionally didn't do that. So that show is just in a different category. So I'm not saying that, like, oh, this has to have heart and a message t- to be a better thing. I just think that The Office very much wanted th- that, like, they wanted to be like, oh, well, we have a sensitive side and, like, everybody's going to get emotional at these certain points. Um, like, even outside of Jim and Pam, like, Michael would have those moments where he would go too far and then he would, like, just cry like a little child, basically, in his apology. And everybody would be like, oh, no, you're a great boss. It's like, no, he's not. We all know that he's not. I, I think that the thing is funny that he's, like, secretly a savant and can just, like, make amazing things happen in desperate situations. I love that. But, uh... Yeah, I don't think that um, the consistency, or not the consistency, I don't think that um, the heart was ever there as much, and I think that they wanted it to be. But uh, again, I'm not trying to bash on The Office. Just in that ranking, Parks and Rec, absolutely the winner. And But Michael Scher, congratulations on having, like, the best run for a TV guy, like, possibly of all time i mean i know like norman lear or whoever did a bunch i don't know old time producers so there could be a bunch of guys who had like 15 hit shows and i would know about that but i would say that mike sure definitely wins the decade in uh for sure network television possibly just television period just because like the sheer ability to just have that much content and that much power like over an entire generation of people possibly two possibly more um is just unprecedented. I think that anybody could like any of those shows, like any age group. It doesn't matter. And you know what I mean? Like, there's something for everybody in all of those shows. There's representations of people. There's, like, totally different styles. Like, I mean, everybody has a job. <laughs> and I don't know. I just think that uh, it it's brilliant that like all four of those shows there can be fans of just one all four or any combination of them and that's something that you should really strive for like as a network and they got it all with one guy um so yeah i just think he's brilliant uh excited for what his next move is going to be now that well i guess he still has brooklyn 99 but 
I mean, he was balancing two shows like the whole time, nonstop. And is he going to do another? Like, is he going to be like, okay, here's another showstopper. Like, here's the next best network television show. We'll see. I hope so. I'm excited at the prospects of what people are going to create. I, I, especially after, like, award season and uh, seeing all the snubs and it's like, all right, well, who's next? Like, who's going to, who's, what's the next move for Adam Sandler and the Safdie brothers? Because uh, never had seen a Safdie brothers movie before, but Jesus Christ, uh, they're amazing. Uh, if good, that movie Good Time with Robert Pattinson is anything close, which I've heard that it's better, we'll see. I don't know. Really like gems. Um, they're, they're like 33, so they're going to be making movies for like 40 more years for sure. And uh, really excited to see how they top that. But the fact that gets no nominations at all. Look, if you don't want to do Sandler for Best Actor, whether that's out of some kind of precedent because like you don't think that he deserves one, whatever the Academy's reasoning was for not nominating Sandler. I completely disagree with it, but any time I disagree with a nomination, it's usually because I haven't seen most of the movies that are being nominated, so I can't really like definitively say, like, oh, this is bullshit, this guy should have got it, but it's usually like I've seen a performance that was so good, and it's like, this guy definitely should have got it. You know, and this is one of those things. It's like, there's no way he shouldn't have gotten one because it was that great. Like, it doesn't necessarily say that, like, every, like, the other people aren't deserving. It's just like, this guy just also 100% was. And, uh, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix definitely deserves it. I don't care. Like, that movie was not that great. I get it. Uh, the editing was terrible. The fact that it's nominated for Best Editing drove me up the wall because you could have cut 20 minutes off that movie. Definitely 10 for sure and like r- moved the the hospital scene at the end into a mid-credits just so it's like a little bonus for everybody and make the ending when he's on the car. Like that's way better. Um, and we didn't need the flashback to show me that he was just imagining it. Like, I understood he was just imagining it by her reaction. Like, you don't need to fucking spoon feed it down my throat like that. Um, so I, I just think that that movie, like, wanted to be a masterpiece, and I think, like, it it was, like, a little bit of fine-tuning away from it. So I'm not, like, super against it. I'm just, like, slightly disappointed for completely different reasons than everybody else. Um... But, uh, yeah, his perf- Joaquin Phoenix was absolutely phenomenal. I think that he's, like, probably the best actor maybe ever. I know that that's bold, but, uh, I mean, like, his versatility is insane. His choices are insane. Like, the, the movies he makes are absolutely nuts. I think that I'm still here. Uh, while not necessarily a great movie, the context around it of him doing that performance art and just, like, destroying his own career just for the sake of doing it uh, is absolutely unbelievable. And I think that it ha- had they slipped that narrative into the movie, I haven't seen it in a while, so they may mention it, like, at the end, or, like, in, like, a like a quick, like, text on screen thing. But they also may not mention it at all. But either way, like, if it was, like, if they built a narrative around it, and, like, I don't know. I don't want to say, like, did, like, interview shots of him talking about it, because that would be kind of tacky, 
And I don't know. But I think if they f- if they formed more of a narrative around what was happening and, like, we're straight up, like, in the movie, like, this is, oh, this is performance art and we fooled everybody, I don't know. I think that that would have boosted it quite a bit and it probably wouldn't have. I think it took him, like, two years to recover from that. But, uh, and then, you know, uh, just everything he's done that, that I've seen, I think, is absolutely amazing. I don't really care for Inherent Vice. I'm a big PTA guy. Um, seen everything but Phantom Thread and that Tom York thing. Um, I, 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 it's not out of even laziness. With Paul Thomas Anderson, it's like, I gotta be in a mode. I gotta be ready, because I need to actually watch this movie. I need to focus. I need to pay attention because he's going to do something beautiful. I need to listen to the score because Johnny Greenwood's going to tear it apart, you know. So that that's really why I'm still behind on him. Um, but I would say Inherent Vice is probably his worst movie. But that's okay. You're going to have a worst movie. And for that to be somebody's worst movie is not nearly a bad thing. Uh, a lot of people's worst movie is pretty terrible. So, I think that, um, Sam, but yeah, I think Sandler deserved it. Uh, I, I don't know. I think that that movie deserves something. Like, best original score also. Like, are you out of your mind? The, those synths are insane. Um, one of tricks point never. Whatever his real name is that he goes by for the score. Daniel something. I don't want to get it wrong. Um, the score is unbelievable. The editing in that movie is unbelievable because the pacing is nonstop. It's frenetic the whole time. The cinematography is insane. Like, for that movie to not have, like, a nomination in basically every category, I think is insane. I think Kevin Garnett, um, supporting is always tough because supporting is, like, there's a lot of great supporting roles usually, way more than lead, so it doesn't jump out as much. But I think KG, KG crushed it. He was amazing in that. And I I think that uh, there's too many noms for Joker. Uh, especially editing. Again, I, I cannot trust that enough how terrible that is. Or I think The Irishman might have a best editing thing. I don't know. The Irishman has too many nominations as well. If you're going to do all that money for the CGI in their face, that's all I'm saying, is like, why not just CGI their face onto a body double for when they have to do anything physical? Because when he runs, it's like, that is an old fucking man. That guy's not 45, and he doesn't even look that young, and you can never really tell what age they are because they never really tell you, and I get that that's, like, the point. It's that, like, life just goes by, and then, like, you realize you fucked up. It's like, okay, that's a great statement, but when he's young, he could still, like, not look like he's, like, 75, especially when you're putting all the money in on the tech. It's like, if you're going to make it ridiculous and just, just do everything with makeup, then... Because if you're going to take all those steps to, like, de-age their face, but then it's just like, oh, well, this guy just got curb stomped by a 78-year-old man, you know? He couldn't even throw the gun. It, like, unless, what were they using? Like, a 50-pound prop gun? How heavy could that thing have been? Was that a real pistol made out of, like, solid steel that weighed, like, 10 pounds and De Niro's wrist is too frail? You know, like, I, 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 I just don't understand that part of it. I think the movie's too long, and I'm not one of those people. It's not like a generational thing where, like, oh, I don't have the attention span to watch a long movie. No, 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 no. Because I was captivated. I, ju- I just watched Magnolia for the first time. Like I said, I, 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 I take my time with Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, I just watched it recently for the first time. And uh, I was pretty captivated the entire time. There were certain time- there were certain moments where I was like, all right, can we jump to the other storyline? 
I didn't like watching the girl do coke that much. Like, I get it. She's she's doing a lot of coke, but it was like they were almost setting it up to where she was going to OD like before the date, and then she doesn't, and then they make it seem like it's, I don't know. It might just be because I've seen Pulp Fiction so many times, but I was basically expecting it to be Pulp Fiction, where she just ODs. I guess that that's, I just realized that right now. So, sorry, PTA. I, I don't think you're ripping off Tarantino ever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there were moments in that movie where I was like, all right, we can jump to the other characters. Like, okay, the kid peed his pants, and, like, nobody, nobody is on his side about this. Like, that, that, that it was just uncomfortable. I mean, I'm sure that that's the point. You know, that being a kid star is rough, and you just kind of want to be a kid. But... Yeah, I mean the fact that nobody was on his side. I was like, I don't even want to watch this. They're just berating this child. I don't. This isn't entertaining, you know. Um, but the, you know that's nitpicks. That that was a great movie, absolute masterpiece. Yeah, not a masterpiece, but great movie. Absolutely loved it. But I think that, you know, the Irishman. It it, it didn't need to be three and a half or whatever it is. I, I, I couldn't tell you, like, what you could cut. I think that those scenes where they're, like, in the car and the women want to keep pulling over to smoke, I love that. I I think you could have did, like, a whole... They could have done, like, the whole first hour of the movie as a road movie, and it would have been awesome. And then, like, then they jump cut and just do, like, 30... Like, 20-year they check in or something. I don't know. Almost like uh, the way Steve Jobs was done. Something like that. But... I, I I couldn't tell you what scenes you should cut. I mean, it, it just all needed to not be as long. I think that how many times are you going to tell him that he needs to keep Hoffa in check? Like, you told him a bunch of times. Like, I think clearly over the course of, like, multiple years that, like, Hoffa needs to chill. And it's like, yeah, you made that clear. You're going to keep showing these scenes. And then the scene where they lure Hoffa to the house... How many times are you going to do that? Like, how do you... Why was that... It was so clunky and weird. And just the... Like, you knew what was happening, and it made it seem like he knew what was happening, but then, like, you realize he had no idea what was going on. And it was just really bizarre and really over... It just over-explained. I don't know. I think that it was good, but, I mean, the hype was too much. Uh, I mean, hype kills things. I understand that that's a big factor, but there's no, there, I don't know. It, it didn't need to be that long. That, that's all I really have to say. I think it could have got cut down. So the fact that that has so many nominations is it's a lot of legacy stuff where people said Scorsese's Departed thing was a legacy thing. It's like, have you seen The Departed? That's an amazing movie. Now, in comparison to, like, Raging Bull or Goodfellas, it's like, yeah, sure, he should have got those. So, yeah, like, The Departed is partially a legacy thing because, well, they're not necessarily saying, like, oh, The Departed is his best movie. It's like, no, this time, this year... It was the best one in the votes. Now, I don't agree with the votes. I think they fuck up all the time. And, like, he obviously should have won for those other movies. But what I'm saying is, like, it, it, it doesn't, it's not necessarily a legacy thing because that movie's fucking amazing. I think him winning for The Irishman and all, or all, any or all of those guys, whoever ends up winning, which they might, um, that would be more of a legacy thing, even if they already have the award. That's kind of like a victory lap type thing. 
And I think that that's kind of bullshit because it's just it just doesn't deserve it. I have no problem. I have no problem with movie lengths if they're long, if it's justified. Um, I'm a big Titanic guy. I fucking love Titanic. I can watch that right now, beginning to end. It, it probably runs a little long as well, but not nearly as egregiously. There's never moments where I'm like, Jesus, let's go already. Whereas like in The Irishman, it's like, yeah, let's pick it up. Like, I get it. It's about how life is long and, like, you make these decisions along the way and then in the end, you know, who's there for you? That's good. But that's how I feel watching the movie, though, too. It's like, Jesus, like, I I just spent all day doing this and it's like, I look around and it's like, well, the fucking sun went down. I just wasted a day. It doesn't feel like, holy shit, I just saw such a moving piece of art. I may need to rewatch it. I I fully understand that I may need to rewatch it, but I'm just saying that that's... That's how I feel about it at right now, at this point in time. And I think that it it, it just could have been cut down. And I, I don't know. I need to see that 1917 movie. I want to see it in, like, IMAX. The whole one-shot thing, as a, as a gimmick for a war movie, it sounds both like it makes sense and that they're missing something. I think because the title is 1917, it should be a little bit more of, like, a... I don't know, like more of a true period piece. I don't know, it makes it sound like it's about the whole year 1917, but from what I gather, it's about like two dudes like on a mission, and I just find the title to be a little bit inappropriate. I get, I don't know. That's just a personal thing. It's kind of like the way I think that if Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice was just called Dawn of Justice, or like called whatever, but not called Batman versus Superman, I think that movie goes up like 10 percentage points in my head. Because... That they don't fight. It's not about that. They make it seem like the whole movie is one going to be one big epic battle between these two guys. And like, yeah, they fight, but not for that long. And then they're mostly on the same page. And I just think that if you call that movie Dawn of Justice and like basically frame the title as to say that it's about the origin of the Justice League, then the movie makes a whole lot more sense because the movie's about the fucking origin of the Justice League. So I just think titles go a long way. So I think calling it 1917 just on like knowing about what the concept of the movie's about I think was a little a little too much but that's okay that I really want to see that movie and then um you know the Oscars you say what you want about them everybody cares but everybody wants to talk about it like they don't it's like you care and they matter you know as much as I would love for con awards to like mean everything to everybody they just don't it's international I get it and everybody's going to be paying attention to the Oscars, and it's going to mean more. It it just is, even though it shouldn't. And, like, people know truly that, like, winning the Golden Palm w- is, like, the most prestigious award, but, like, you're still going to want that Oscar win, and that's going to be the thing that people talk about, at least in America. Okay? So, like, I, I get it that they fuck up all the time, and that's pretty much the the biggest reason why we shouldn't care. It's like if they're never getting these awards right in our minds then why do we trust them and call them prestigious? It's like, well, if the wrong person always wins, then what's the fucking point? Because it's it's a decision made by people. It's not like in sports where, like, I don't know, like a team could fuck up and another team could execute, like in football, let's say. Like on one Sunday, it's like the perfect game plan versus, like, you know, the the worst game plan possible. Like it. 
you game plan your offense exactly how they expect, and so their defense is waiting on every move you have, and then vice versa for your offense against their defense, and it's like, I mean, a team can just win. And now I'm not saying that this is a bad team by any means, but like the Titans are a perfect example. It's like nobody, everybody's underestimating them, and they've been. Every, everybody's been saying that they've been the best team in the AFC, like or one of the best teams in the AFC. Obviously, the Ravens were on a roll, but, like, everybody was calling them, like, one of the three best teams in the AFC for the whole last, what, like, eight games of the season? And then all of a sudden, what, because they're playing the Patriots, they shouldn't be favored? It's like, that doesn't make any sense because everybody's talking about how the Patriots aren't that good. And I understand that they get all the legacy picks, and it's like they're held to a higher standard, and they've earned that higher standard, but it's like when you're admitting that this team isn't that good, even though they're 12-4, and four, that was always my thing. It's like, they're 12-4. and four, You're talking about how terrible they are. It doesn't really make any sense. But, like, when you watch them, like, yeah, clearly they don't have that same juice this year. They just don't. And the Titans, you were just talking about being on such a hot streak. Like, every single person I've heard talk about them on ESPN, on whatever, all of a sudden, in the because now it's the playoffs, it's like they're not one of the hottest teams. It's like, we always talk about how hot streaks make a difference. And, like, you've got to be getting hot at the right time going into the playoffs and making the right moves. And it's like, that's exactly what they were doing. Like, they have all the momentum in the world. And now they beat, you know, they beat the best team of the last, of the entire century. They, they beat a team that has been great for this entire century, basically. And they beat, after that, the team that has been the best team this year by far. And, you know, uh, they did it pretty easily uh the second one especially i mean it did not really feel like like i, I in my head i was like oh man i'm waiting for the ravens to just strike and they just didn't and so like in retrospect it's like they never had a chance it was it was it was truly brutal and um but yeah so it's like a thing like that where there's no it's nobody's fault but that team's you know, you can't be like, so if the Titans somehow win the Super Bowl, I think whoever wins the AFC is going to win the Super Bowl this year. Um, I picked the Titans uh, the last two weeks. I was the only person I know that picked them over the Ravens. Um, I don't know if I could pick them over the Chiefs, though. I Like, I want to. I really want them to win the Super Bowl. I think that would be awesome, but I don't know if they could beat the Chiefs after what the Chiefs just did. I mean, to just score like that, it's like, it it was remarkable to watch, frankly. And it's like the Titans could go a whole game without throwing it, and the Chiefs can go a whole game without running it, <laughs> and it would just be the weirdest duel of all time. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I could pick them this time. Uh, my picks were not right for the NFC at all. I I did not have this. I had Chiefs, Titans in the championship game. I think I had. I don't even know what I had in the NFC. I had Saints probably. And then, I think I had Saints 49ers. No, I don't. I didn't. I I thought the Vikings were going to beat the 49ers. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't know who I initially had. I think I, I had the wrong picks. So, But either way, I just think that uh, the AFC team is going to win out because, let's say the Packers make it. I don't think they have a chance against either team. Like, what's Darius Smith's pass rush going to do when Derrick Henry's running it 46 times in the Super Bowl? And I think that um, what 
I mean, the 49ers, they they just don't have the experience. Like, we always talk about how, like, teams need experience, and you have to make the playoffs first, and you have to get there. Like, you have to earn your stripes. And it's like, all of a sudden, we're just calling this team the best team in the NFL, and I, I, I don't know if that's right. Because look at what just happened to the Ravens, and they made the playoffs last year and got to do it together. But like, I get it. The whole offense was transformed. It's a completely different team. But at least, like, they'd been there. Like, Lamar had been there and started in a playoff game already. And, like, Jimmy G, you're just saying he's just going to go down and win the Super Bowl? Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, don't, I don't think that that's that easy. Um, and I, I just think that the Chiefs and Titans are better than both the 49ers. Oh, the, Chief, the Titans are right now. The Chiefs are, period. Um, but they're both better than both teams. Um, and we'll see, obviously. That's why they play the game, and... That that that's what I'm saying though. Like if if the Titans win the Super Bowl, there's going to be a lot of what ifs. I mean, sure, there's what ifs for the Patriots game. I mean, the Patriots had every opportunity to beat them way more so than the Ravens did. But then you're going to say, what if the Ravens blah blah blah? What if the Texans played their starters and knocked them out of the playoffs? Which I think that teams should do if you're in the same division. I think that that's just how a divisional rivalry should work. Like. If you're playing a team in your division the last week of the year, you're in the playoffs, they're, the only way they can make it is if they beat you. It's like you pretty much have to go out there and play them just to say, like, hey, fuck you. This is our division. We're making it. You're not. I think that you have to make that statement. I think the fact that you're resting your starters is like, yeah, we don't care. It's like, no, 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 no. Because if you end up having to play a division rival in a playoff game, it's a toss-up. Because they they know you. They know you better than anybody. You shouldn't want them in there. But, yeah, so there's always going to be a lot of what-ifs, but it's never, like, it's, the what-ifs are, like, split decision, like, split-second decision moves, like, what if Pete Carroll didn't throw that pass? We don't, we don't know. We don't know. But, like, with the Oscars, looping it all back here, you can always look back and just be like, well, why the fuck did he win that award? Who let that happen? You know what I mean? Whereas, like, in football specifically, like, there are so many decisions being made, like, by every single individual player on every single individual play that, like, anything could swing anything at any moment, and, like, coaches could do anything wrong at any moment, and it could, like, set off a, cha- a butterfly effect whole thing. Like, it's just so unpredictable. It's so incredible that, like, yeah, you could kind of be like, man, they really blew that, but it's like, they had no idea. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just way more of a toss-up. It's way harder to say. There are way many more factors involved. Whereas, like, you're going to tell me Adam Sandler didn't crush it? Like, ju- just try and tell me Adam Sandler didn't crush it, and you're full of fucking shit. <laughs> I'm sorry, but th- that's that's my beef with it. It's like, especially that movie shows it exactly. Like, they, they wrote that movie around that basketball game. That basketball game is never going to change, and there's nothing that anybody can do about the outcome that could have made it any different, or, like, that series. You know, like, the Celtics did what they did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the they they couldn't change it. They chose not to. I mean, and I mean, but, like, literally, like, they used the in-game footage. They could not have changed the stats of that game. They could not have made anything happen differently. So, like, they understood the significance of, like, 
all of the decisions that happened in that bet because they happened so specific and they're so ridiculous and this game just happens to make it. Like, I don't know, it's just brilliantly written. But I think that in the same way in Oscar's decision, it's like, well, everybody was just on, like, they just got lobbied into it or, like, they got suckered into this decision. And it's like, you guys get to pick who the best is. Why are you not basing it just on, like, the cold, hard facts? I don't like how there's, like, politicking for your awards and, like, you have to schmooze people. It's a broken and flawed system, and it should be as sacred as sports, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, those outcomes are final once they happen, and, like, no matter what, those are the two things that are similar. Like, if a referee makes a bad call, you can't undo it. Like, once the time runs out, the time has run out. And that's it. We can't go back. And, like, the Roby Coleman pass interference thing, like, yeah, that's a fucking crime. But there's something sacred in the fact that, like, okay, we're not going to change this. So I respect that with, like, the Oscars where they're not like, okay, we need to, like, strip this guy and then, like, give it to this lady. And we need to, like, oh, man, there was a scandal over here. Like, I, I, I respect that they, like, expect the the finality of it and just kind of leave things as they are. But I think retroactively, like, we can look back and be like, oh, this performance wasn't that good. Like, they didn't deserve it. This person should have got it. And, like, anybody on the committee can admit that. Whereas, like, yeah, I can I can think about it all the time and fantasize about uh, the 07 Patriots going undefeated and, like, making that last drive, which they totally should have made. They had three timeouts. I don't understand any of the decision-making that happened there. But, like, that's, that's my thing. It's like, uh, no matter how much I think about it, like, that, that game ended. It was 17-14. to 14. That's it. We we can't go back. Like there there isn't the what if of like what if, what if they did like these twenty six different things differently. It's like yeah sure. Whereas like a performance can like not age that well, and you can look at it and be like this wasn't even that good of a movie. Like why why did anybody like this? You know you can like movies can age poorly, and you can just be like what the hell, and like. A team can age poorly in the sense of, like, Jesus, they really screwed that up. And it's like, wow, they're going to go down in history as, like, one of the, like, they made some of the biggest mistakes of all time. But you're never, like, there's no way to talk about, like, what if these things changed? Because the decisions were, there there were too many to, there were, there's too many what ifs in any given situation. Whereas, like, this year it could just be like, what if Adam Sandler just got nominated? What, what what would that have done? And, like, they easily could have given him the nomination. Like, he has no say in that. He put the killer performance on, though. Whereas, I, I keep referencing Patriot stuff because I just want to clarify. Although I'm from Chicago, Big Bears guy, absolutely my favorite team. Unfortunately, it's a tortured situation. They're bringing back fucking Trubisky again. I cannot believe that. Like, we better at least sign somebody as a backup. Give me Mariota, even. You know? I'll take anybody. Red Rifle, come through. At least you can fucking throw a ball. Uh, But the first Super Bowl I remember watching, I remember seeing the um, Titans-Rams and, like, seeing that last play. I remember very specifically, like, holy shit, they just lost the Super Bowl by a yard? Like, that is insane. And I was like, okay, I get football. And then, so, the next year was kind of the first year. Uh, no, I still don't remember that much. I But I remember them beating the Rams, and I just remember them saying how unprecedented it was, and just being like, okay, I like these guys. 
you know, that obviously we I just kept seeing them in the Super Bowl. Like they but they played the Panthers and then the Eagles. And I remember the Eagles one was a big deal because like everybody's like T.O. is gonna play. He shouldn't be playing. And then he just went out and like tore them apart and like I just remember basically feeling like they lost in spite of T.O. Now, I would have to rewatch that game because I was a very small child. But anyway, like, it was just like Brady was the guy when I was a kid. Like, he was the first guy I watched win and do magic. And it's the same reason why people love Elway versus Montana or Marino. Like, it was about, like, who was the guy you saw first that wowed you the most. And, like, for me, like, if you look at Brady's stats in the Super Bowl, like, all three of those, I think, he didn't do that great. But, like, they won the game, and I just remember feeling like, wow, this guy is a hero. Um, And then, like, as I, like, really got into football, like, by the time I was, like, 10 or 11, you know, they were crushing it every year, and he was better by then. Like, they were a better team. Like, I, I was 12 when the 07 Patriots happened. So I was immediately locked in because they were always right there and I never liked Peyton Manning and it was always Brady versus Manning. Like, that was the argument. And I never liked Peyton Manning. He just would not stop barking all the time. It's like, you know, how about you execute a play that was called? Why don't you just, like, you know what I mean? If you're going to go out of every play, it's like ridiculous that there's almost no challenge to it. Like, I feel like anybody that can read a defense could go up and change, like, every single thing about a play every single time, and it's like, oh, well, now we beat the defense. It's like, well, now what if they audible back? It's, like, exhausting. It was just exhausting to watch him. I didn't like how good he was either. Like, he was just unbelievable to watch, frankly. And it, it made me angry because he was so good. And it's like, whenever, whenever you're not rooting for the guy that's just so good, it, it's just annoying to watch. And then especially when they beat the Bears in the Super Bowl, that cemented it as, like, fuck Peyton Manning. And you know what? That might have been where the absolute Brady love, like, officially kicked in was the 06 Super Bowl because I, I I couldn't even grasp. Like, I knew that they had made it since 85, but I couldn't grasp that amount of time. And considering how good, like, the 85 Bears were, like, I couldn't grasp it. And uh, anyway, the whole thing. Brady is the man. Love Brady. So a lot of Patriots references are going to be coming. Uh, and also, just like, they're the best analogy to make because nobody has been that excellent over that much amount of time. It is absolutely unprecedented. So, yeah. We love the Patriots here at Requiem for Tuesday. Um, anyway, I think I'm going to wrap things up, but I, I just wanted to say I really hope that I get to do this pretty consistently. Um it's fun to get the thoughts out there. Hopefully, again, it'll be a little more streamlined as we get better, a little less ums, hopefully, less less weird pauses. I'm, uh, I'm going to work at it. Um, hopefully, again, get some structure to it. I would like to. This was kind of fun, though. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, hopefully, have, like, some guests, some stuff like that, different topics. Um, I definitely plan on going through, like, rankings. Um it's always been a really fun thing for me. I don't know why. I think it's because I have an affinity, like, for being good at math. Like, f- for whatever reason, just, like, ranking things and, like, looking at statistics, like, stuff like that. It always just comforts. Like, I just have a comfort in numbers, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I wasn't trying to do the humble brag about my math skills because I haven't done a fucking math problem in, Jesus, like, seven years now. God, that's terrifying, just to say. Um, but... Yeah, so I definitely plan on doing some special ranking episodes, whether it's, like, ranking Tarantino movies or, like, Radiohead albums, something crazy like that. Uh, Yeah, I know, it's real wild. Uh, (laughs) 
But uh, so yeah, I've got some plans. Hopefully, execute them as soon as possible. Uh, plan is to kind of drop this weekly, usually on Tuesdays, even though it might make more sense for them there on Wednesdays. I'd like to be that on the nose with it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've got a bunch of merch ideas already. So let's. Uh, I mean, I know that it's way too soon to talk about stuff like that, but let's just hope that uh, this can keep growing. I hope to keep doing it. And uh, thanks for listening. Just remember, I are fat. You are fat. We are fat. Calculator.